and welcome back to Nature Boost. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation. I'm very excited to welcome back our lovely runge naturalist, Sarah Easton. She is joining us again, if you remember. We did a really fun summer Q&A episode with her a few months ago about common questions or concerns that she gets from the public. And it was cool because we got her side because she deals with the public in person who come all the people who come to Runge Nature Center. And on my side, uh, I dealt with public questions that we get from uh, people on our social media pages. So I thought it would be awesome to bring her back. And we could talk about some common topics that people are always curious about kind of in the fall and the wintertime. So Sarah, I'm really happy to see you today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be back. To give a little background for people, we're recording this in the middle of, of October, but this will drop in the middle of November. And this is kind of a, a little bit, I feel like it's always a little bit of a calm before the storm <laughs> at this time of year, before things really kick off. Obviously, a lot of staff get super, super busy um, when deer season kicks off. And so when this episode will drop, will be uh, there will only be a few days left of the firearms deer season in November, right, Sarah? Correct. Yeah, that firearms deer season goes uh, November 11th through November 21st. We've actually got a few new seasons this year. We've got the new firearms CWD portion, which runs November 22nd through the 26th. That's only in select counties. Well, they did do an early antlerless season, which... Fun backstory. I actually hunted for the first time. What? I did. Yes. And okay, I did. Quick, quick, quick experience. Right. Yeah. Let's quick, hear about quick it. Quick sidebar on this. Okay. So I have never deer hunted before. I've only gone pheasant hunting. And my little funny story with that is that I was too scared I was going to shoot one of the hunting dogs. So <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't like the best pheasant hunt. Hey, know your limits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I signed up this past October, the, the early antlerless portion. It was the governor's inaugural mentor deer hunt. And it was really specifically for people who had never deer hunted before yeah. or had never harvested a deer. Yeah. And so I've always been curious about deer hunting. Have you gone deer hunting? I have. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and I thought, you know what, this will be good for me to experience. Um, and I did think about bringing the recorder along <laughs> to make it a podcast episode, but I was like, you know what, there's so many moving parts to this. I yeah. Maybe. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah. Um, but no, I... <laughs> I went into it thinking, Jill, you're not going to get anything. Like, this is not, you're not, you're, I got a deer. I, what? I got a deer. I did. I was, um, actually, so oh, and I just, you. thank you. Thank you. I was very proud of myself. Um, I was a little anxious uh, going into something um, like that. It was definitely out of the box for me. Um, but I, it was, I feel like it, it will help me with this job. I feel oh, like 100%. I can. Yeah, yeah. Like now I know exactly what it's like. I was in a, I was in a really cool deer stand and. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. So anyway, thank you for asking. Basically, we're just, we're coming up on a, on a lot of uh, deer season, different methods and archery season. Mm -hmm. and, um, Something that I think is important for people. If, if you don't hunt, it's great to be aware of these seasons, right? Absolutely. And, and important to be aware of these seasons. Yeah, from a safety yes. perspective. Yeah, absolutely. 
being on conservation areas, you were saying earlier that people use our conservation areas for a lot of different things. Yeah. So, um, you know, and if you're not familiar, um, hunting can can take place on on private or public land. Right. So if, you know, if someone's hunting on private property or their own property, that makes a little bit more sense. Right. Because you're probably not just going to be walking onto someone else's property. But there are a lot of hunters who use public land for hunting, and that includes, you know, our conservation areas. I think it's kind of a a beautiful thing to think about our conservation areas being used for so many different uses. And, you know, they mean something different to different people, but we have to respect the ways that different people use those areas. And, And part of that is understanding that some people might be using it for hunting, some people might be using it for bird watching or hiking. So just knowing that if, you know, if you fall into that later category, part of being being safe and being respectful to the people who are using that land for hunting um, is, is being cautious and being aware and primarily uh, wearing orange when you're out on our conservation areas, kind of from now until all the way through January. Actually, our tree season goes all the way through January 15th. Just being aware, you know, if you are going to be taking your winter hikes or whatever, which is a wonderful thing to do. We'll, get, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But being cautious and, and wearing oranges is a very big one. And maybe being aware that you shouldn't wear tan or white. <laughs> maybe that might, because that's like exactly what the deer wear. Don't like <laughs> wear your deer Halloween costume <laughs> out in the woods. Let's, yeah, let's save that for, for Halloween. So lots of seasons and, well, archery season going through January. Um, it's ongoing and uh, very important to be aware of those seasons and uh, dress appropriately. Yeah. And, and even if even if you're not a hunter, I think it is a good idea to um, either, either pick up or look online. Um, we have a, a specific fall deer and turkey regulation booklet, uh, which basically takes takes the big wildlife code and pulls out everything you need to know specifically for fall and deer turkey hunting. But even if you're not a hunter, having that or, or, you know, looking at it online is important because it does have all those dates. Um, It lists all of the specific conservation areas around the state and, and what hunting is allowed there and what's not. So if you are using public land for something other than hunting, being aware that, you know, that's part of that being cautious and being aware knowing what's going on on that area. Where are those available? All um, nature centers have them. Most like most places that you would buy a hunting permit, which <laughs> if you don't hunt, you're probably like, where's that? Um, but Walmart, you know, bait shops, um, sporting goods stores, they're, they're, they're everywhere. If you start looking, if you know what they look like, they're actually everywhere. Yeah. You start or online. Yeah. Online. <laughs> all, it's online. And then, um, yeah, it's like once you kind of know what they look like, you do start seeing them everywhere. There's a big picture of a deer on the front. Yes, can't, can't <laughs> miss it. Okay, so speaking of deer, busy time for them too. They're very active. They're, they have a full schedule. They, they do. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. This is always a great time of the year. Well, it's an important time of the year just because they are more active to encourage people to be more cautious on the road. Absolutely. So they are um, They're moving around a little bit more. Not only looking for food, you know, food is starting to get a little scarce, but also they're in they're in that rut or that mating season. Um, so the males are maybe not thinking clearly all the time, which <laughs> my <They're> love sick, <laughs> love sick baby. They got tunnel vision. Um, 
but you know that might result in them jumping out in front of your car or something like that so that is is a good note to make for this time of year they are much more active and being cautious on the roadways and if there happens to be a deer in the roadway that was unfortunately hit by a car you can call law enforcement if it's a hazard yeah yeah so you know we see a lot of roadkill unfortunately um on the side of the road if if there's a deer in the road uh where it's a, a hazard you can call call your local agent or uh, local law enforcement. They'll remove it as a hazard mm-hmm. from the roadway. A big question that we've gotten on social media, and I'm sure that you've also received from the public at Runge, is it's a deer that's been hit and it's on the side of the road. But, but, it, really, but it has a nice rack. It's got a nice rack. <laughs> How do I get them? Yeah. I want it. Um, so you get, unfortunately, that doesn't. It's not just a free for all that you can just go grab it. Um, but you would need to contact your 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 local agent in your county. Every county has at least one agent. Some counties have two. Contact your local county conservation agent. They'll talk with you, ask you a few questions and stuff, and hopefully, you know, you could get a disposition from them. So basically, just a um, paperwork that you would need to keep with that keep with those antlers um, in case in the future they came back and said, hey, where'd you where'd you get these antlers from? Mm-hmm. You have that record. All right. Good to know. So if there's one that you see, <laughs> call before you take it. You need yes. to call. Yes. All right. Okay. So as we were saying earlier, it's getting colder. The days are getting shorter. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you you can't get outside and enjoy the outdoors. You know, one big thing a lot of people like to do, myself included, is watching the birds in the winter months. Especially it's so it's after it snowed and then you see a cardinal. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've like watched a cardinal like with the snow in the backdrop. It's magical. Yes, it's absolutely. Beautiful. I f- funny story. I had a program um, just last week, I guess last week, um, and we were talking a little bit about birds and stuff. And and after the program, I was talking with one of the visitors, and and she was like, "Oh my gosh, I love your cardinals!" And I was kind of like, "Really, a cardinal?" And then the fact that she said, "I love your cardinals," kind of tipped me off, and I was like, well, "You know, where 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 are you from?" And Come to find out, she, her and her husband had just moved from California, which, oh. if you're not aware, the Northern Cardinals range does not extend to the West Coast. So there are no Cardinals on the West Coast. Um, and she was just, you know, flabbergasted by a bird that at least I often overlook. Right, yeah, that we're used <laughs> um, to. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like, oh, it's another Cardinal. Um, so it's just, it's just a good reminder that, like... Even though, you know, these might be birds that we see all the time, they are still really cool and deserve some oh yeah. Some awe and, oh, yeah. and respect. So Oh my gosh. It's just oh, a good reminder for yeah, me. Absolutely. <laughs> don't yeah, don't take them for granted. We always get questions is it important to feed birds in after it's snowed or just in, in winter in general. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, birds need food in the winter, right? Um, they 
stay, they have, you know, a couple adaptations to help them stay warm. Uh, but part of that is just their like high metabolism. Um, they, they shiver to stay warm, kind of like we do, which helps keep their body temperature higher, but burns a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So they need a, a steady supply of food um, as one of the ways to keep them warm. The other piece of it is the benefit for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I think... A lot easier, at least my personal opinion, it is so much easier to start to learn birds and bird watch in the winter because they're going to come to you. Right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. If they're much more likely and, and you obviously can feed in, in the summer and stuff, too. But um, in the winter, when food is so scarce, you put out, you know, a little bit of bird seed bird food and you're going to have a lot of birds in your backyard versus you traipsing all over the woods trying to see one. Right. So right. Oh, <laughs> I, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think it's a good time if you're interested in bird watching, you know, or kind of have dabbled in it, but not really sure where to start. I encourage people to start in the winter. They come to you, so it's a little bit easier to see them. But also, um, if you're overwhelmed with the number of birds that we have in Missouri, winter is a little bit more manageable, right? Because a lot of those migrants have gone. Um, You know, you get just the resident birds, which gives you kind of a good base than when you get a little more advanced and want to learn some of our migrants. Mm -hmm. You already have that good base of like, okay, yes, that's a cardinal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So yeah. I encourage people to start in the winter if they're interested in bird watching. And um, we actually have a couple bird programs coming up this winter at, at Runge. Um, so if you have a, a local nature center nearby, definitely check that out. They might have some winter bird watching opportunities too. All right. Good to know. I was looking at a blue jay the other day and I thought to myself, Do female blue jays have similar coloring? Because you know how usually females, they're not as colorful as the males, right? right? Because they have to, you know, be near the nest and they want to be incognito. I've never seen a a blue jay, a female blue jay that looks... Yes, so like brown. So most birds, uh, what you're referring to is sexual dimorphism, um, meaning that males and females look different. Right, okay. Um, And that is true for, for most birds, you know, and like, like what you're saying, where the females look duller, um, the males have the brighter colors, that kind of thing. That is not true for blue jays. Okay. Um, That's what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> so the the females look are blue, too. Oh, uh-huh. I know that sounds silly. But <laughs> <laughs> They're actually not blue. There are no blue birds, actually. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Do you what are you secret? saying? Yes. So, so there are no actual blue birds. Bird feathers get their color... Through one of two ways. They get it through the pigment, which is usually um, determined by like what they eat or their diet. A blue feather, whether it's from a blue jay or a blue bird or whatever, um, is not actually in the color of the feather. It looks blue to us because of the structure of the feather. The structure on a, you know, like on a molecular level, the structure um, reflects light that appears blue to us. Interesting. And so if you hold it, I got to give, man, I'm, Austin, my coworker is going to be so mad because this is totally his thing. Is and this I'm, what he likes to explain He to likes people. to use this as like a magic trick. Oh, okay. Um, so if I don't give him credit, he'll be mad. But um, if you, you know, hold it in a different light, the feather just looks gray or kind of dull black. Um, and then you bring it down 
where the light where it's refracting into our eyes, it appears blue again. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. We all learned something yeah, right now. The okay. More you know. Cool. Definitely worth mentioning. Wow. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that the next time I see a blue jay in my backyard. Now. Yeah. Okay. So on the topic of birds. Something that is really, really fun and very popular in the winter months that MDC offers is Eagle Days. Oh, I love Eagle Days. Yeah, tell us more. Uh, so it's, it's just such a such a cool story to begin with, right? Um, one, it's just a great time of year to see eagles. That's probably probably the main reason. Uh, but I think it's also just cool that we have taken the time to celebrate, you know, not only our national symbol, but such a cool conservation success story. You know, there was a time when we didn't see eagles, you know, and, and seeing a bald eagle was newsworthy. Now, pretty common, luckily. And common as cardinals. It's, yeah, just like, <laughs> just like our cardinals. Um, it's pretty easy to see one. So what a cool success story that we can point to for conservation. Um, but back to that, the first thing I mentioned, it's a great time of year to see eagles, right? We, why is it a great time? Yeah. Why, why are they? Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me hear it. Um, so one one thing that um, people don't necessarily know, we, we do have resident bald eagles in Missouri, right? So we have eagles that live here all year round. We also have migrant eagles who come, believe it or not, you might not feel this way in the middle of a Missouri winter, but for some of those eagles... This is like the balmy tropics, right? Um, their range, you know, can extend all the way up into the boreal forest and pretty pretty far north. So if those eagles are spending time up there, you know, they come down here for a warm winter. So in a Missouri winter, having our residents and our migrants here, they need open water to to eat, right? Mm-hmm. They're a fish-eating eagle. Usually we're at kind of a good... Oh boy, La- longitude, latitude, 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 <laughs> longitude, oh. like length. That's a good one, right? I, I think that's right. Yeah, that's how I, that's hope how so. I remember it. Because so latitude, latitude, yeah, fatted, latitude. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah. are, um, we are at a, a pretty good latitude, you know, where we'll, where we still have some open water. Um, so we're kind of at the northern part of where they would migrate down. <laughs> does that make, no, that make it does. sense? Yeah, it does. How do I say that? Like, um, the, of their, um, the northernmost point of their, um, winter range. Winter range. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so the, our latitude, you know, usually allows for some open water, um, which kind of puts us at the, at the northern part of their, their winter range. So, um, we, still you know they're still able to eat they have plenty plenty of open water to fish on and that mixture of our residents with those extra added migrants just we see you know makes for awesome <laughs> seems like you see bald eagles all over the place yeah right? um, that so. is so interesting the next time i complain about our cold winter i'm just gonna remember <laughs> the eagles and be like this is summer for them down here. Exactly. This is, this is their little tropical vacation. We hold Eagle Day events like all across the state, correct? And uh, usually it kicks off. Does it start in December or does it start more in January? Um, I, I think a lot of them are in, Jan- are in January. Yeah. Yeah, most, I think pretty much all the nature centers have um, some type of Eagle Day and in, in a lot of other conservation areas as well. You know, they are usually 
kind of centered around places with running water, water. moving water. Mm-hmm. Um, like like we mentioned, you know, eagles primarily eat fish, although they eat they can eat a lot of other things as well. Um, they primarily eat fish. So if you're looking, if you're out looking for a bald eagle um, in the winter, kind of head towards rivers, mm-hmm. big bigger lakes and things like that where there's still open water, you're likely to see one. Be sure to keep an eye on Eagle Day's events near you. Or, you know, if you want to just go out and do your own Eagle Day, like Sarah said, move, uh, go to some water. So by the time this airs, again, it'll be... Uh, the third Thursday in November, and Thanksgiving's coming up, which is basically your free-for-all to <laughs> binge on a bunch of food. Um, but I, I want to mention that there are some really fun programs that some of our uh, nature centers offer, like walk-off-the-turkey programs, where it's just nice to get outside and enjoy nature um, and, you know, Get some extra steps in at, at the trail. The, all the trails outside of all of the nature centers are always very nice, um, so scenic, and uh, it's it's good to um, – don't get me wrong. I love to take a nap after my turkey coma, but, you know, sometimes I got to get this body moving. <laughs> you know, some, some physical movement after – a meal can really help with digestion. So yes, very good. Or, you know, wrangle up the family and and yeah. head to your head to your nature center. Area. Yeah, yeah or nature center. Yeah, either or. Let's move on to some common questions that you get about wildlife in winter. I'm sure you get some fun ones. One you mentioned is one I'm actually very curious about. Some people want to know how fish survive when the lake freezes or a pond freezes. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Poor fish. <laughs> no. They they're they're all right. I want to put that out as a blanket statement. Um they're they're doing okay. They're going to make it through the winter. Um like we mentioned with the eagle days, you know, we're kind of at a sweet spot where you know, our lakes we will get ice sometimes, right? I have <laughs> I have a vivid memory of I grew up in Columbia, so Stevens Lake Park. I oh, yeah. I want to put a caveat on this because I'm not sure you're supposed to do this anymore. Uh, but once winter, when I was younger, it was, it was you know, really cold and Stevens Lake froze, you know, froze over and we were out walking on it and my dad slipped and fell. Oh, no. Oh, did the ice break? <laughs> no, the, I- the ice didn't break. Oh, no. Oh, uh, gosh. I thought there's going to be like a rescue story. I guess- in hindsight, the, maybe my story wasn't as exciting <laughs> as I thought it was. In, okay, okay, but it was solid. He anti, just fell. Anticlimactic. Okay. <laughs> no, oh. he didn't. He didn't fall through. Um, he just fell and hit his head really hard. And and he, yeah, we were, we we went home right after that. Um, but let me. Okay, I'll tie it back in. So even though that lake. The ice on on Stevens Lake was thick enough for us to walk on and it, you know, didn't break when my dad fell. I would bet lots of money that lake was not frozen completely through all all the way way. down to the bottom. Right. Right. And and so that's kind of what I'm getting at. Even if we get a really cold winter where a lot of our lakes will have ice on top, we're not at a climate where our lakes are freezing completely through. And actually, I mean, a lot of lakes don't even do that, even further north from here. So there always is some amount of water below that ice, even if the ice is is pretty thick. And that's that's where you'll find the fish. Fish are, uh, you know, a cold-blooded 
animal. So like a lot of other reptiles and, and things like that, their metabolism slows down in the mm-hmm. winter and their needs are not as much, mm-hmm. you know, in the winter because of that. Um, so they're able to kind of go dormant is probably not the right word, but power down. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of power down and um, just, just hang out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Good, good to know. Um, and also, I hope your dad's okay. <laughs> He's never been the same. Um, in a, in the best way. Love you, Dad. He he uh, listens to this podcast. So, oh, love it. I am. Um, I was I was actually just telling somebody else after my last episode aired. Uh-huh. Without my knowledge, he he was coming down to visit me, and um, he showed up in a Nature Boost T-shirt. <gasps> I love it. He's a fan. What's your dad's name? Clint. Hey, Clint. Thanks for being a friend, man. I appreciate it. Um, So some fish species will actually kind of burrow into the sediment of a pond, like at the at the bottom of the pond into all the mud and stuff. And, And they actually do kind of go dormant. That's that's also true of like our turtles and frogs. They'll they'll bury down into the sediment and that's how they spend the winter. See, and that was something that I was very curious about earlier this year. I interviewed um Jeff Brigler yeah. about like what happened? Where are they? Where are the <laughs> reptiles? I don't see what's what's happening and and then whenever he said that i'm like okay yeah makes sense yeah all right so fish can kind of do that too then some some species yeah interesting they kind of burrow into the soil weird okay keeping on this theme so birds have a high metabolism correct and they're warm-blooded if you didn't know Uh, so how do they stay warm yeah so uh birds they do not hang out in the water for the winter um (laughs) they have a couple different ways that they adapt to the cold uh the first being that they get out of (laughs) here you know (laughs) they just leave right um there's a lot of of course a lot of birds who have decided they would rather take the risk of traveling hundreds sometimes thousands of miles to stay warm rather than adjust to the cold, right? That's kind of a, a cheap answer. But that is one way that some birds deal with the winter, right? I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it, though. Yeah. <laughs> they, just, yeah. they just get out of here. Uh, now, for the birds who hang around, um, it's a trade-off, right? They have to decide, you know, what what's worth it. Um, so for the birds who are hanging around, there's a couple ways that they um, can stay warm. They will shiver, And for the same reason we do, right? When we get cold, we shiver um, because we're, you know, trying to use that energy and and work our muscles and things like that. So they shiver to to stay warm. However, that takes a lot of energy, um, which is why they're going to be frequent flyers at your bird feeder. (laughs) So they can shiver to kind of increase that metabolic rate and, and burn energy. But another very common thing that they will do is to um, fluff, fluff up their feathers. Fluff. <laughs> yeah. You ever seen after it snows, you've seen that little cardinal sitting out on a branch and he just looks like plump, you know? <laughs> he's sitting on that branch and he's like a plump little cardinal. I know what you're talking you about. Know, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, I know I've you seen, can picture it because mm-hmm. you've seen it before. I have. I have. And 
He's plump. not actually, he's not actually that plump. He's actually probably, you know, perfect in his own way. Everyone has different bodies. Everyone does. Um, <laughs> I love that. But um, if you removed his feathers, he would be much, much smaller. He is fluffing up those feathers and filling them with air as a way to insulate himself. Um, so he's trapping lots of air in his feathers as like a blanket. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And how, do they stay like that for a while? Yeah. Or is it is it just like a, a momentary thing that they do it? No, or? they can. They'll stay. They'll stay like that for a while. Okay. Until they get warm. Until they get warm, and then okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. Um, oh, I love that. However, the kind of caveat to that is, their feathers need to be clean and dry when they do that. Right. If you are trying to do that with wet feathers, it's not going to work very effect. well. If we get snow, that's probably better for them than, like, freezing rain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard mm -hmm. to keep your feathers dry in freezing rain um, rather than, you know, a nice fluffy snow. What I love learning about all of this is just how cool it is that they've all adapted and evolved so oh, much to crazy. survive. Yeah. How do they know to do all these things? It's just if I, you know, like that intrinsic just it, animal instinct. If I was trapped outside in the cold, I would die. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Animal's ability to survive not only in winter but but anytime. It's just just blows my mind. It's yeah, it's it's really cool and I I hope that people listening to this that, you know, they feel the same way. You know, talking about fish and then birds, you know, bring them together, you get waterfowl, right? <laughs> oh, is that how that works? <laughs> Fish plus I mean, bird equals waterfowl. <laughs> I mean, we'll call A, column B, but yeah. how do they stay warm in that freezing water that they're they're waiting in? Okay, this one blows my mind. So waterfowl, either they're floating in ice cold water or they're standing on ice, right? Um and it just <laughs> it just looks miserable um but they have adapted this really cool way to stay warm and it has to do with a countercurrent heat exchange in their legs what so the artery and the vein in like waterfowl feet are positioned right next to each other okay so that when the blood coming away from the heart and away from the main cavity of the body is nice and warm mm -hmm. it passes next to the cold blood coming back from their foot. Oh, so it like warms it, so it as it goes? It, not only does it warm the blood coming back into the body, but because it's losing heat, then when that blood gets down into the foot, the temperature difference between the foot and the ice is not so drastic, uh -huh. right? Because when you have a big temperature difference, that's when you lose a lot of heat. Having the foot and the ice be much closer in temperature... In temperature Reduces the total amount of heat loss. Isn't that crazy? That is, again, that is just so cool that their bodies have evolved that way yeah. to like for to for them to survive in that type of environment. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool? I don't think you can beat that. I mean, what beats that? Maybe the frog <laughs> whose like heart stops beating whenever that it, one is pretty cool too. Yeah, that one's crazy. Yeah. Kind of going back to ways to enjoy nature in the colder months. It's a big season for people who like to go trout fishing in the wintertime. We do winter trout stocking. I believe in usually the first week of November they start going out and um, stocking the lakes for the urban fishing program. 
Yeah, so all um, all across Missouri, usually in, in more kind of urban areas, um, trout that are raised at our cold water hatcheries, um, the, the MDC's cold water hatcheries, are sent across the state and, and stocked into ponds. You know, MDC will, will create partnerships with city or county ponds and things like that and stock them with trout for the winter. And uh, I believe it's catch and release oh oh is am, well, I, am i wrong okay only, please let me know only because i i had to look this up before i came it depends on where you are okay so around here in central missouri at least this is why i got confused our stock lakes in columbia and jeff city um, we always say february 1st that's like after february 1st is when you can catch it and keep it mm-hmm. up until then it's catch and release however when i got to looking um, there are lakes in, in St. Louis and Kansas City where those dates are different. So I have that you know. I have that specific note just to, to tell anyone who's interested, make sure you double check the specific rules for the lakes in your area. And again, like we mentioned with the um, fall deer and turkey booklet, we have a specific uh, Missouri fishing regulations booklet that you can find it at all those same places. <laughs> um, and it has, I'm looking at it right now, it has a specific table um, with all of the lakes that are stocked and um, has a column specifically to tell you when you can catch and keep those trout. I love how comprehensive those booklets are. That information is, is so nice to have in that booklet or all of this is also available online yes, on the website absolutely. as well. Okay. I'm glad that you mentioned that because it really just depends on where you're at. Yes. In St. Louis, I think they, they kind of try to stagger that. A couple lakes where you catch and keep is November 1st to January 31st. And then some lakes are, you know, February 1st to, to the next October. So they try to kind of stagger that so that not all the trout are, are gone <laughs> yep, yep. immediately. That's smart. So. That's smart. The trout stocking program is, is a really cool opportunity um, because they, you know, specifically stock lakes kind of in cities and things like that um, for people who, you know, if, if it's not possible to get to um, some of our trout parks. You know, we have um, trout parks around the state, although they, depending on where you are, they can be a little bit harder to get to. Um, so this kind of brings that unique fishing opportunity. I mean, trout fishing is is kind of a, a cool thing to fish for. Um, so it brings that unique opportunity to people. Um, but that being said, I want to make sure everyone's prepared. Um, if you are trout fishing with the intention of, of keeping those trout to eat, um, you need not only your fishing permit, but you do need an additional trout tag. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that that is a big question that we've received on our social media pages. I think a lot of time people forget about that daily trout tag. We think about it a lot more with, you know, if you're going to the a trout park, um, but even if you are fishing in one of those stocked trout lakes, um, you need your fishing permit if you're if you're over 16, and a trout tag no matter what age you are. So that's a little little caveat too. Right. Um, under 16, you do not need your fishing license, but if you're under 16 and trout fishing, you still need a dra- daily trout tag. Need the tag no matter how old you are. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you can get the tag on the Mo Fishing app, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Love that. So convenient. Okay, just a few things left that I'd like to discuss with you. Let's talk about the leaves after they've fallen. 
do we rake or do we not to rake? That you know, is the question. You know what my answer is going to be. Let me hear it. No. Okay. Why should we not rake our leaves? Oh, because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, girl, listen, same. This is a win-win. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. You don't have to rake your leaves and you can help the environment. Like, <gasps> well, what? what? Why would you not? <laughs> why do, why does leading the leaves help the environment? So, uh, so many reasons. Um, and it's it kind of a, a chain reaction, right? Primarily, we want to leave those leaves because there are tons of invertebrates, spiders and insects and snails and all these kinds of things that are using those leaves. I mean, that's their primary habitat, right? And talking about how wildlife survive winter, that's how these guys are surviving winter. They need that kind of blanket, that insulation to survive the winter. And then going out from there, it's a catalyst effect, right? Small mammals and birds and reptiles are feeding on all of these things that Mm -hmm. are staying in the leaves and it, you know, cascades out from there. So it has such a bigger impact than, than you really think about. I've got two big oak trees in my backyard that and have not even begun. The leaves have not even begun to fall. They always fall like super late. So you're telling me that I can leave those leaves all winter, all winter, and not do and and then just I can mow in the spring whenever. Yeah. So some sometimes um, you could consider like kind of mulching the leaves up a little bit. Okay. Um, but I mean, really, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> don't make me, Sarah. And when your neighbor comes and knocks on your door, you be like. Dude, I'm helping the world. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to say. Yeah. What yeah. are you doing? What are Yeah, what are yeah. you doing? Not helping. Well, obviously. just just for yeah, just for context. I don't pick up any of my leaves and my neighbor does. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a big juxtaposition juxtaposition between my yard and the yard next to me. But, you know what? I'm not, it's not, that's not going to change me. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right. So we should all leave the leaves and then we'd be helping our wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's kind of a cascading effect. Um, But there actually are some larger animals um, that use the leaves too, you know, um, box turtles and and snakes, um, a lot of species of salamanders overwinter in those leaves too. You're helping probably more invertebrates than you could even count. But there are some, you know, larger animals as well that really rely on that kind of blanket of leaves, too. There's also a benefit to your plants. Those leaves are an excellent source of nitrogen and organic matter that can give back important nutrients to the soil. Um, But they can also kind of protect the root system of, of like a tree over the winter. Um, they can hold in soil moisture, which I think if you're anything like me, you know how dry and cracked your hands get in the winter. We know how dry it can be. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a harsh time for plants as well. So having those leaves kind of hold in that moisture is another way they can benefit the tree, which again, then benefits other insects and benefits our birds. Okay. All right. So Let's leave the leaves, people. Okay, and last thing I'd like to talk about. Obviously, we're getting into the holiday season. Do you use a real Christmas tree? Do you? Personally? I don't. I've got a pink Christmas tree. <laughs> I I don't. Um, I don't. I've heard mixed things about 
you know, which one is better or not. And and I don't know. Well, um, I can remember my family used to get a uh, real Christmas tree. And I have fond memories of like, did you ever do this as a kid? Like you just like crawl underneath the Christmas tree and like look up at the branches. Oh, um, so cute. Yeah. Well, not whenever it drips sap on your hair. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was probably stuck in there for a while. Uh, I remember that. Uh, but then I'd also remember, um, I'm pretty sure this happened that like, one of our dogs would just always like drink the water from the. <laughs> from the like, um, oh look, a new water. Yeah, bowl. exactly. But then, yeah, I, we slowly kind of morphed into yeah. just getting the artificial tree. But for those people who still do get live Christmas trees, you can recycle. You can use that again whenever you're done with it for the season for wildlife. Yeah. Tell well, us about that. Y- you can't use it again. No. <laughs> but it no, is, I cannot. Yeah, no. Like, that wouldn't work. You couldn't use it the next year. No. But um, it has a second use. It, it has a second purpose. We use it, yes, <laughs> for, for something else. Yeah, sorry not, if I We're misspoke. not encouraging you to keep a No, don't, don't use it. House. They're highly flammable. They're very brittle. Yes. Um, no, so that tree, after, you know, being a wonderful symbol in your in your living room for Christmas, uh, can have kind of a second life um, at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> Um, so that tree actually can provide um, crucial habitat for fish in Missouri um, lakes and, and ponds. Because mm-hmm. fish like to have kind of hide out. Because and... they celebrate Christmas too. <laughs> Jill. Jeez. Since the season. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Um, because it provides habitat for them so fish need you know they they like to feel secure like we do you know they need kind of a shelter and a a place to you know kind of quote unquote live most lakes i would say 99.9 percent of lakes in missouri are are man-made lakes right so you know at some point something has come in there and, and dug it out whatever um through that process you remove most of the natural kind of structure of a lake, right? Mm-hmm. So if we were to die cut or whatever a, a lake, it would just look kind of like a big bowl, right? Right, right. Um, and if you're a fish, there's not a lot of places for you to go. So putting those trees in there gives them a place to hide, gives them a place to kind of rest. It's a huge place for like aquatic invertebrates mm-hmm. to cling on to and and grow which in turn is food for the fish it has again kind of like our leaves has a kind of cascading amount of benefits um, by putting those those trees in there so remember that if you get a live christmas tree this year and you're not sure what to do with it after the season um you could give the gift to the fish keep the the gift keep on going um what about can you put it? Can you put trees in your backyard? Could you do that? Yeah, you can as well. Um, kind of the same, same thing. Um, providing that kind of shelter or habitat for, um, especially a lot of birds or small mammals. Um, to have kind of that brush pile to hide out in or to kind of insulate themselves if it's really cold. Um, so that's that's also an option as well if you have a place to to put that out there. Very cool. All right, I want to ask you one final question. Before you leave today, what's your favorite thing to do in nature in the in the fall or winter time? Do you have anything that you like to do? Any fun things that you look forward to doing in this time of year? 
I always love to be outside, right? So my initial thought when you said that was was just, you know, hiking and being outside. I think it is kind of a magical time. It's seems usually kind of like quieter, especially if it snows. Like mm, yeah. oh, if it snows, like that's I'm for sure gonna be outside somewhere. But even even if not, you know, there's kind of a hush everything kind of slows down, you know, and um I like I like to be outside. One thing that I was excited to come on this episode and talk, be able to talk so much about winter is just that idea of promoting that we can still go outside in the winter, you know? One of my bigger pet peeves, I probably have several, but <laughs> one of my bigger pet peeves is, you know, people say, oh, the bad winter weather is here. And it's not bad. It's, it's what we expect in winter. We just have to be adequately prepared for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can still go outside. It's not a bad time to go outside. You just have to make sure you're dressed appropriately and, and prepared. And you can still have a wonderful experience with nature outside. You know, I love going outside whenever it rains. Ooh. Yeah. I like l- listening to the rain. I love listening to the rain. I love the smell of rain. Ooh, you know, yeah. I just I just love that smell. And again, it, I think it's one of those times where you don't really encounter many people out. Yeah. They don't like to be out in the rain. Um, I did make that note about going outside in winter. I said less people, less insects. Yeah, that's true. Those those are Which, those are good things. I love insects, but I can understand why that might be. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, yeah. Like kind of a, a cause for concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that about the snow, too, um, especially the snow on like a sunny day. It's almost oh, like beautiful. snow. It's so beautiful and it's so bright yeah. just because the, the, the white snow kind of reflecting the sunlight and then it almost just looks like it's glisten, like glittery. It's glittery. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I love the sound of like boots walking in snow. <laughs> just just everything. It's, it's just kind of a feast for the senses, I feel like. Yeah, in general. absolutely. And I love, I mean, as long as you're dressed, the core part of your body is, you know, warm and dressed appropriately. Like I love a little chill on my, on my nose yes. and on my cheeks, like when my cheeks get kind of cold. Uh-huh. A little Ooh, wind blown yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then I, f- I feel like it just makes you kind of appreciate the warm house. And oh, yeah. I mean, then you more. have to follow it up with like going inside and, you know, drinking hot chocolate. Like mm. that's that's all part of it's it. It's part right? of it. It's part of the experience. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's so true. We know we know winter's coming. It's not like it's coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Like it, this happens every year. <laughs> um, but yeah, just making sure you're prepared for it. There's a time and a season and there is just I, I don't know. There's just something magical about the winter season. Just Yeah. I mean, Nature, I really think, you know, nature teaches us everything we need to know and, and just the benefit of of taking a time to rest and, yes. you know, to reset. Like mm-hmm. nature has to reset itself. And that's, you know, kind of what what's happening in the winter. I think there's a lot of beauty in the symbolism of winter. I love that. A lesson to be learned yeah. for every season. Ugh. Very good. I think we're going to end on that note. I don't think we can get better than that right now. Sarah, thank you so much again for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit with me and talk all things um, nature and outdoors. And I hope that uh, we can do this again in the future. Absolutely. 
our online field guide on missouriconservation.org is such a great resource. You can type in um, the species that you're wanting to learn more about, and it'll pop up, and you can learn more about any wildlife or plant life found in Missouri. Uh, there's a lot of events that we have posted on the website. Just go online, missouriconservation.org slash events, and you can find anything or everything you need to know about Eagle Days or the Walk Off the Turkey programs. You can find more about trout fishing in Missouri. Anything uh, coming up this winter, you can find on our website. So I hope that you do that. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation, encouraging you to get your daily dose of the outdoors. Yeah, Sarah's Sarah's the best, and she's 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 so. F- I'm gonna edit that out. Do you ever just start a sentence you don't even know where it's going? Okay, all right. I mean, um, you could keep going. I, no, I, I, love, to, I, I love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Pay me that compliment. Gas me up. <laughs>